You're listening to Inside Content, the TV industry podcast. This show is brought to you by 3Vision, a global TV industry consultancy specializing in content acquisition, strategy, research, and business development. Each episode, we give you VIP access to the views and experiences of senior TV executives and discuss the latest TV industry trends and insights. In this episode, I'm speaking to Dermot Horan, Director of Acquisitions and Co-Productions at RTE. Dermot's responsible at RTE for programme acquisitions, co-productions and investment in feature films for RTE. He's also responsible for the RTE archive and libraries, which is the most comprehensive audio and audiovisual archive in Ireland. We talk about partnerships between public service broadcasters, intellectual property, packaging of major international drama co-productions, international content acquisition and other topics. So there would have been a time up to maybe five years ago when Artie would have commissioned a very small amount of dramas and between ourselves and the tax relief and maybe a small amount from a sales advance would actually fund a very small number of dramas. Now, you know, we'd love to have more money, but we don't. So how can we make our money go further? We can make our money go further by actually developing partnership. Welcome to today's podcast. We've talked a lot recently about global issues, the big streamers, the studio, direct-to-consumer initiatives, SVOD, AVOD, and the innovations being made by pay TV. Quite a long list, really. It's longer as well. But we've also talked about what it means to be operating on a local level. Not enough for my liking, actually. I, I think what goes on at a local level can be much more important to individual consumers. And local discussions can encompass uh, so much, not just in terms of how services can compete for viewing, um, but also obviously in our world, how they can compete for content and how the ripples of uh, from the global actions kind of impact them. And today's guest, I think, is perfectly placed um, to talk about these issues um, and the issues impacting local players in what is a, a rapidly evolving um, market. I'm pleased to have Dermot Horan on Inside Content. Dermot is Director of Acquisitions and Co-Productions at RTE and Vice President of the EBU TV Committee. I will get Dermot to tell, him about, uh, tell us about himself, um, but Dermot is effectively responsible for all programme acquisitions, co-productions and investments in, in feature films for RTE, as well as the RTE archives and libraries. And just in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with RTE, um, RTE is the National Broadcaster of Ireland, produces and broadcasts programmes uh, on TV, on radio, uh, and I guess online now. Um, and it's been operating radio since 1926 and doing regular TV broadcasts since 1961, which makes it one of the oldest continuously operating public service broadcasters in the world. Dermot, good morning. I hope we find you safe and well in this stormy morning. Yeah, no, very well, very well. Tucked off up here in the in the attic, so to speak. But uh, yes, yeah, no, no. Uh, I think I think Dublin's going to get away with this one. So maybe um, if I could start by, if you tell us about your your role in the organisation at RTE. Well, I suppose my role is, uh, you could argue, is kind of Mr. International for RTE. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of all the kind of international acquisitions, um, but I also look after the acquisition and pre-buying of, of all Irish feature films. So the equivalent of, you know, Film 4 or BBC Films, uh, it comes through my department. Um, and I'm also in charge of co-productions. And, you know, for a small broadcaster like RTE, uh, and particularly with the cost of scripted content, comedy and drama, 
only going one way, uh, it's really important that we find international partners. And it's interesting that what's happened, you know, recently is quite a lot of the people who worked in in acquisitions um, are now actually doing co-productions as well across Europe and, and across a lot of the public broadcasters, because I suppose they have that network of contacts among you know distribution companies among fellow broadcasters um and so so that's that's what i do and then i i i'm also in charge of the rt archive that's um again if you're working for a small broadcaster you you tend to be a bit of a jack of all trades and uh i'm very excited about that role because i'm, a, I'm actually a history graduate so i'm a bit of a an archive nut and um, we are about, well, we've actually commenced a major five-year project where we're going to digitize the entire RT archive, both audio and video, and make it available to independent producers, to members of the public, uh, also all our in-house producers and researchers. And I think that, you know, we're going to unearth a huge amount of really interesting material that, that will appear in, in TV programmes. I think I think that's fascinating. I think we're probably going to have a whole separate podcast on the archive because I because I think that there is so much there and there are so many gems. And I know different countries and different organisations, whether it be the I'm not sure is it the Library of Congress in the states that gets involved in that. I'm not sure uh, the video archive, and then obviously we have the BFI over here. And the moment you get involved in archives, it, it is absolutely fascinating. I th- you did say something really interesting there, and I think we'll talk a bit, I won't jump too far here, we'll talk a bit about co-production, but it is interesting what you said, that people who were involved effectively in international acquisitions are kind of involved now in the co-production discussions, because, well, because by virtue of the nature of productions, as you say, kind of you need more cooperation, you need more partners, you need to find those partners somewhere else, and it happens that those people are your peers who are in the same situation elsewhere I guess that you are finding more partners in different places I guess yeah no absolutely and also with my EBU hat on I'm vice chair as you say of the EBU TV committee one of the initiatives we have at the moment is we are offering heads of drama and producers from EBU members to pitch their projects at an early stage to fellow EBU members as as potential pre-buys so again you know we're we're trying to cooperate as fellow public broadcasters. You know, so sometimes a broadcaster will be able to put in a percentage of a budget. There will be often a tax relief or, you know, a local film board or, or other kind of body that they can access funds for. And there's going to be a gap. And in recent years, that gap has often been funded by, you know, global streamer coming on board and saying, yeah, you're short 30%. We'll, we'll fill that 30%. But in return, we want global rights, you know, sometimes for a very, very long period. And for that local broadcaster, internationally, that program is going to be an Amazon original or Netflix original, rather than actually maybe being able to make a number of key sales to fellow public broadcasters that fills in that gap, but actually allows you to build new relationships, allows you to have your brand getting out into the world so that rather than the streamer, which will always kind of, you know, be very prominent in terms of the branding, that if you're a Norwegian drama and it's from NRK, that people can say, God, NRK made that. Um, and uh, and also it's, it's really important, I think, for, for broadcasters to have a range of people that they can do business with and, and not be reliant on one or two streamers um, who probably, you know, if you look at their trajectory, are more interested these days in developing their own IP uh, rather than necessarily working you know, with other with other players. Yeah, that's there's there's lots there really to to dissect. I mean, how is that as a kind of 
evolution of kind of what RTE has been doing over time? Like, is that kind of, I guess I'm not so so tuned into the history, because in, in the old days in the UK, so someone would get a commission from the BBC or ITV, kind of a little bit of tax credit, find a distributor to take up the rest, and then they'd go off and maybe they'd have a pre-sale or two, but then they'd go off and, and, and sales and plug whatever was left and there'd be a bit of risk involved. But obviously things have changed a lot. Has this, have you seen that kind of evolution yourself in the business? Oh, no, completely. And I mean, you know, even from an RT perspective, there would have been a time up to maybe five years ago when RT would have commissioned a very small amount of dramas and between ourselves and the tax relief and maybe a small amount from a sales advance would actually fund a very small number of dramas. Now, you know, we'd love to have more money, but we don't. So how can we make our money go further? We can make our money go further by actually developing partnerships so that, you know, give you an example, uh, RTE can put maybe 20% towards the cost of a drama. Then Screen Ireland, who used to be the Irish Film Board, but now is Screen Ireland and are very, uh, very interested and very keen. And part of their remit is now funding for the small screen. They can fund up to 10 percent. So it might be eight or nine percent um, of a budget of, of a TV drama. Then there's a tax relief, which which grosses at around 32 percent, but maybe you know slightly less when you take in uh, the fees, etc. So, you know, between RTE, the tax relief, and Screen Ireland, you're, you, you can put together probably around, you know, 55, 60% of your budget, and then you're short 40% of it. Um, and what we're finding now is because largely we commission in the English language, that we have English language drama that would be attractive to international players, either that as, as pre-sales to a number of territories, or indeed for a distribution company. I mean, the good example recently would be Smother. So Smother is a drama that we're about to start filming season three in County Clare. Thankfully, not today. It would not be a day for filming in County Clare um, on the Atlantic coast. But um, yeah, we've done two series of that so far. It has done really, really well. It is a co-production between RTE, BBC Studios and Treasure Entertainment, who are one of our best scripted uh, production companies here in Ireland. Uh, BBC Studios have that in their catalogue. And my understanding is that they've already recouped their investment just on season one. There was a bidding war in the US uh, for that show, uh, which stars Derbla Kerwin and it's a family drama. And uh, it went to Peacock, who are really happy with it. Peacock are going to launch it very soon, season two. So, you know, there's a very good example of a drama that's set in Ireland, shot in the English language with a recognisable cast Derbla Kerman would be very well known from British dramas, uh, actually lives in the UK, um, uh, is married to Rupert Penry Jones. That's a little bit of uh, ephemera, obviously a, a, an Irish actress. And um, so well known internationally among those kind of buyers who buy British drama. And BBC Studios as well, as you know, need to make sure their catalogue is of a certain size and scale and, and is refreshed. And, you know, BBC, the broadcaster, which is separate to BBC Studios, they will commission the best series that they see fit. Quite a lot of the best series that have gone out on the BBC recently have been made by, by companies that are owned by ITV Studios. So, you know, if we think of, you know, Line of Duty and Bodyguard, etc., uh, Peaky Blinders, none of these are made by in-house BBC studios or indeed by indies who have an affiliation with BBC studios. So actually BBC studios working with RTE, they can actually, you know, have the inclusion in their catalogue of English speaking dramas that are kind of six part returnables, you know, could have been made for the BBC, 
happen to be made in Ireland in the same language. And you know, what we would say is Ireland is a very distinctly, you know, obviously different country, part of the European Union, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet a drama set in the West of Ireland for a British audience is no more alien than a drama set in Scotland or set in Wales or set in Cornwall. It's another regional accent in the, in the English language. And for international buyers, a drama set in Ireland that's being distributed by BBC or Royal Three Media or DCD or any of these kind of companies is just another kind of drama that comes from that tradition of kind of, shall we say, more Anglo-Saxon stroke Celtic storytelling. Yeah, I think, I mean, in a way, what's great, I think, it, um, globally is that there is, there seems, if you it kind of, a lot of it's anecdotal, but, but there is some, some, some strong evidence, actually, in some markets. It seems that kind of uh, international programming is far more accepted in non-local markets. And, and in particular, obviously, the US is important to that because it's such a big, um, well, such a big dollar number in, in, in any sale. But um, I mean, you even saw, I saw... Uh, uh, it was an Israeli drama. I think Valley of Tears was was on linear HBO in the States last year, like not, not even on the on-demand platform. And that's a, that's sort of with subtitles, which is a big step, really, for the US market. But you're in an even more brilliant position because you're actually English language. And as you say, if you're bringing 55 to 60 percent of the budget for a partner, you've got to be incredibly attractive as a partner. And uh, I guess... I did notice that Smother had done well. It was on Peacock and I think on Canal in France and sort of popped up everywhere. And you've you've had some other ones. I know I noticed because actually I want to watch them. I haven't seen anything that Kieran Hines is in. I'd I'd watch Kin, like Kin with I think you did with AMC. Yes, that's another co-production. So yeah, so so that was uh, AMC ourselves and Viaplay, um, and produced by Brand Studios in associate with Headline Pictures. So that was working with with an American studio, Braun, which, which has been a great experience as well. They were keen for that show to have the heft of really well-known actors. And then that cost a bit more, but they were willing to take that risk. And then obviously AMC came on board. So, you know, that had Kieran Hines, obviously nominated for an Oscar and, and, a, and a BAFTA, such a brilliant actor anyway. Aidan Gillen, who would be really well known internationally from, you know, for countless series, you know, and then some really good new talent like Claire Dunn. And also Charlie Cox, who, who played Irish. Uh, he had the same voice coach that Daisy Edgar-Jones uh, used for normal people, uh, although this was a more flatter, kind of more gangster Dublin accent. Uh, but obviously Charlie would be very well known in the US from being in the Marvel Universe and, you know, Spider-Man, etc., Daredevil. So, you know, and, and it worked well because actually if you look at Kin on AMC in the States, we, we both shared the same key art in terms of social media, the, the look and feel of the show. But AMC were dialing up Charlie Cox and, and Aidan Gillen because they would be very well known. We were dialing up more of the, the Irish cast. Um, and that shows how these things can work for, for both parties. I mean, is the broad opportunity we're kind of talking about, it's also in a very competitive kind of unrelenting marketplace, like wanting so much content. So, um, and, and with local productions, the focus of the global streamers, not just Netflix and Amazon anymore now, but also kind of the Disney Pluses and the HBO Maxes of the world. In truth, I don't work so close to the coalface in terms of making content, but we, we do hear from get involved slightly. Do, do you think that that's just going to get tougher and tougher because I hear kind of, of challenges getting the IP getting the tele actually the people to produce it the, the the nuts and bolts and is that kind of ongoing challenge for RTE when when it comes to these projects 
to be quite honest, RTE don't want to own the IP, which is the first thing. You know, under our terms of trade, you know, in Ireland for, for, for when we commission Irish programming, the IP is owned by the Irish Independent Production Company. RTE gets a percentage of the back end based on what we put in. But, you know, and, and we're very happy with that because, you know, RTE's job is to act, part of, part of RTE's job is to make sure that our sector, our Indigenous sector is fit for purpose. And one of the key ways of making that sector fit for purpose is to allow the production companies to own or at least co-own the IP, you know, because, you know, if they don't own the IP and, and they do a job for Netflix, Netflix will pay you a very decent amount of money and, and, a, and, a, and a decent profit margin. But that will end up in Netflix's catalogue and it'll be Netflix's IP. Um, and, and so that company won't be able to grow, whereas, you know, we commission Irish companies, we get a certain number of runs and a certain number of years for that IP. But then, you know, five years time, I'm knocking on their door and saying, by the way, can I buy that series again for the RT player for Ireland? And, you know, that that money might pay for that production company to keep their office open for a few months or it might actually pay for the development of a new drama. So the retention of IP is really, really important. And that's why I think people like working with broadcasters like Channel 4, like RTE, like BBC, who won't insist um, on the IP being retained by the commissioner. Um, obviously, if you're working with some of the streamers, and it's only some of the streamers, yeah, IP becomes a big deal for them. And that's why, you know, it's important for us to find other partners. So, I mean, AMC, for example, in the case of Kin, you know, AMC don't own Kin. They've got very, very long rights in their territories so that they can exploit it in, in, in those territories for many many years but they don't own the ip the, the ip is owned by the producer and and that's and that's really healthy because you know we've we've seen in certain territories i mean the uk when 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 you know those obviously the first terms of trade were were organized and the the producers re retained their ip that allows companies to grow some of those companies might be bought by even bigger companies and become bigger and bigger and then are they indies or what are they there but at the same time that's good for for the british television industry and in the same manner we need irish the irish industry um to to grow in the same manner i mean the best example actually in Ireland, and they're a few years ahead of the live action business, is the animation business. So the um, this all goes back to a guy called Don Bluth, who uh, came over to Ireland, and he set up an animation studio many years ago on the side of the Phoenix Park. And he said to the Irish government, I need animators trained. So the Irish government set up a third level uh, animation course. And he made, you know, movies like An American Tale and Thumbelina in Ireland. And then he left back to the states but actually what he left was uh, a gang of animators and some of those an animators were quite entrepreneurial and they started by making series for disney and cartoon network and, and other networks on, on a on a you know servicing basis and they still do some of that but actually of late um they have been uh, making their own ip so companies like cartoon saloon in kilkenny you know, who've had several Oscar nominations for things like The Breadwinner and uh, Wolf Walkers, uh, Nine Story, you know, who, who recently bought Brown Bag. These are Irish companies that are of scale now and they own their IP and they're growing and they're employing lots of people. Uh, and so they're a very good example of, of how an industry can be sustainable because if you're just a service industry, and there's nothing wrong with being a service industry, and, you know, Britain, which is a very successful industry, will service Disney movies in in Pinewood and Shepparton and all the rest, and that's absolutely fine, um, and it, it employs a lot of people. But the having production companies that actually own their IP means you're a more mature industry, and and you're not 
suddenly going to be at the whims of the fact that suddenly Budapest has built 10 sound stages and has a better tax relief than you do, and you can lose that all that industry can just go overnight and um, so so that's what we need to do and as i say as a public broadcaster it's it's part of our role as i say is to the sustainability and the health of the irish independent sector i love that kind of the background to that animation kind of growth it, it is it is fantastic when things like that happen i guess with your with your productions that kind of what would be interesting to just think kind of an issue that we're getting involved with more and more now is, is kind of when you've got project and kind of a pro kind of the ultimate profile of that project kind of someone's getting usage rights and someone and then there's the financial side of things we're seeing big changes in the windowing kind of environment but for you is it is it relatively straightforward you're involved in this project RT you're going to get its kind of usage initially on the channel and the player and no it's, it, it always has to be negotiated i mean obviously if, if rt is fully funding something it's simple you know we have a terms of trade with the irish independent sector we get five years all rights within ireland and and those rights will include non-linear rights on the rt player as well so that that's clear when we fully fund something obviously if you are uh, co-producing something and you have other funders then that is subject to negotiation but what we have found of late is that the world it doesn't really mind if Ireland has retained rights. You know, if you're a distributor, the fact that you can't sell Ireland, it's not a big deal. And in fact, what outweighs that loss of a very small territory where an acquisition would be modest enough anyway, is the fact that RTE can bring to the table that we place this show on a prime time in a half nine slot, that it won its time slot you know, every single episode that it got X number of streams on the RT player. So if you're selling and you're a distributor and you're selling a program that's been on a streamer, there often aren't figures against how well that's done. So, you you know, you can say, oh, this has been very well received. How do you know? Because Netflix aren't actually revealing or Amazon aren't revealing how many streams have actually been watched. Whereas actually we as a public broadcaster, we have to, you know, it's part of what we do uh, is to actually let people know the rating. So I think if you're, if you're in all three media, you're at BBC Studios, you're at ITV Studios, you're DCD or any of those kind of pre-mantles, you know, to, for you to go into the market and to be able to say, by the way, this show did really, really well. I mean, I know, for example, Kin has been sold to MPO in, in the Netherlands. You know, a good friend of mine, Mignon Hoosman, she's the head of acquisitions there. But I mean, she was tracking how well it was doing on RTE and the ratings it was doing on a fellow public broadcaster in a country not dissimilarly culturally, Netherlands, Ireland, you know, a fellow European country, likes the same kinds of dramas, and actually, it, it, it's gone down really well in the Netherlands. So as I say, in terms of rights, yeah, it's always an ask, but and it's really important. Um, with my acquisition hat on, I can tell you that there is a battleground going on there. And that's something we can talk about later, because, you know, obviously, we've less leverage when you were just acquiring something than if you are the instigating commissioning broadcaster. Yeah, well, we we definitely move on to acquisition, but I think that's really interesting. I mean, I've always heard kind of stories of people saying, "Well, we always look to this, and it's it's a barometer for us. It, like if it works, and that's interesting that the Netherlands, if it if it works well on you, they're pretty sure it's going to work well." I know some of the Nordic broadcasters have told me, kind of, if British crime drama rates does okay in the UK, I know it's going to do great on mine or whatever. So, but I almost I almost feel like you're sort of. I was going to say sort of fighting above your weight. That's not really what I mean. But the fact that kind of people who partner with you don't 
worry about the kind of the opportunity cost in Ireland, which is what you care about. So if someone does a co-production in the UK, there was sort of talk that the streamers were kind of less interested in working with the broadcasters because the broadcasters wanted the first window and the first window was really valuable to them in the UK. Whereas you you kind of, you fight above your weight in the sense that kind of you make, you can offer quite a bit to the programming, offer great quality as well, and you're just taking Ireland. So in a way that plays to your, your advantage. Yeah, no, give you an example. I mean, Smother again would be a case in point where that was able to be brought to the British market and it went to Alibi for, you know, a decent fee. So, you know, Alibi really pushed Smother in, in the UK, almost like a UK TV original, even though it isn't, even though it's a kind of an, an, an acquisition. But that also meant that in terms of recouping um, the sales advance, you, you still retain the UK, which obviously for English speaking drama is one of those key territories. Whereas, as I say, losing Ireland, is not a big deal um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a relatively small territory. Well, well then moving on just a bit, maybe, maybe more to the acquisition theme and, and so on. I guess one of the other interesting things that's been happening last year is the studios launching more services and there's Disney Plus launching, HBO Max launching in markets, kind of different, slightly different things, Paramount Plus and, and other things. But, but they are, and we've got kind of interestingly, we've got some statistics which i think will be in our trend survey but come out we, we bring out the whole time with show tracker the percentage of content that the studios are withholding and holding onto their own pipeline has increased drastically in 2021 and for some people that has become a real problem immediately because this is content that they had on the service or wanted uh, and for others it's a sign of a problem ahead because they're kind of they're not getting any of the new shows and they're just running out of the old ones. And I guess I'm interested in for you what sort of impact that you feel specifically for RTE, but just in the market in terms of kind of with that withdrawal of content happening. Is is that are you feeling that? Well, oh no, absolutely. And and so like most broadcasters, we've had to pivot uh, and we've had to be nimble because you're absolutely right. Now that being said. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, RTE, particularly on our second channel, would have had a lot of American network shows. And, you know, the heydays of Desperate Housewives and Lost. And, you know, these shows were the bread and butter of, of often people's second channels, actually. And, they, you know, they did gangbusters. They didn't cost that much because they were acquisitions rather than co-productions or commissions. Um, but that kind of 22-part American network series is less fashionable now. Uh, probably for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one is the streamers don't tend to do that. But I think also it predates the streamers. I think when when HBO and Showtime, you know, started commissioning their own shows, um, as opposed to just showing reruns of movies and stuff, they, 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 they realized that they had to differentiate themselves from the networks. One was obviously being able to run riskier content, but the other was being able to attract some really high end theatrical talent and um, you couldn't necessarily get them for a 22 part series that took up somebody's whole life for 40 weeks a year so they could say well listen we'll do a show homeland we'll, we'll do 10 episodes and so for claire danes or damien lewis this this is maybe four months shooting or four and a half months shooting it's it's not anything like as much so you can attract greater talent you can shoot on location you can make the production values higher your you don't need to get the recoup on your advertising like like a network show with international sales. You recoup on the basis that you retain your subscription base or you're increasing your subscription base. So, so I think suddenly international buyers started saying, well, actually, this, this, this content is really, really interesting. You know, it's higher production value and there's less volume. So you might have to pay a bit more for it, but actually there's less volume. 
Now, the, the difficulty with that is, yes, most of that really high-end content is now being deprived because, you know, it's going to HBO Max or it's going to Paramount Plus or, you know, in the UK, a lot of that stuff has been with Sky and until maybe the Sky deal with, with, with Warners and HBO finishes, uh, which we believe is in around 2025. So what you're left with in American terms is quite a lot of American network programming is still available. So NBC, you know, CBS network drama, but actually that is the programming that for international buyers is probably of less interest because people's appetites have changed. Um, uh, and the content that's more interesting is, is shorter run series. So therefore, you know, you're really having to pivot. Um, you're having to get in earlier with dramas. Um, you know, you're, we began to look outside of the US and the UK. So, you know, during COVID, for example, we picked up, like the BBC did, The Secret She Keeps, picked that up from DCD, um, Australian drama, but stars Laura Carmichael, um, Lady Edith from um, Downton Abbey. So recognisable British star shot in um, Australia. And we took a punt on it and we put it out in primetime because we had a dearth of domestic content because of COVID in 2020. And it rated really well. It's interesting that the Australian uh, industry has gone from, again, 20 years ago, almost aping the American industry, producing in very large volume, which they used to do, cop shows, procedural shows, to actually producing shorter run, six-parters, four-parters, higher production values, often able to attract international stars, but the production values have gone way up. And what was interesting is that actually an Australian drama series like She, she Keeps rated every bit as well as an American series. So I think what buyers have had to do is to pivot, but actually because the streamers are showing content from all over the world, uh, both in English and foreign languages, we, we call it, um, are much more open to stuff. So, so we're looking to Canada, we're looking to New Zealand, we're looking to Australia, we're looking to Britain. It's great that Channel 5, you know, when they stopped commissioning Big Brother, have put an awful lot of that money into, into drama. We've picked up all, all Creatures Great and Small, and we run it, um, you know, in a tea time slot, um, and, and it, it's done storming business for us, you know, so... And, you know, 10 years ago, that money would have been spent by Channel 5 on, on Big Brother. We, we're doing a co-production at the moment uh, with BritBox called The Dry, um, which is being made by Element Pictures, who, you know, obviously made normal people and are making conversation with friends. It's comedy. It's a dramedy, really. Um, eight half hours with BritBox. BritBox isn't available in Ireland and probably won't be for some time because our main competitor in Ireland, Virgin Media, have a very large output deal with ITV Studios for Coronation Street and Emmerdale and I'm a Celebrity and loads of ITV stuff that, that would be on BritBox. So BritBox isn't available. So actually BritBox is a really good co-production partner for us. But also if BritBox buys something uh, or indeed BritBox commissions something. So I, I picked up Crime, you know, from Cineflex, the, uh, the Irving Welsh, you know, Buccaneer Media drama. And most people in our, well, vast majority of people in our won't have seen that um so everybody's having to pivot uh you're having to get in earlier you're finding out about projects earlier you can't wait until there's necessarily a pilot to view or a first episode to view um but as i say your your audience seemed to be more open uh to come you know different countries and, and and different content yep that that is really interesting we're hearing that a lot at its simplest it's 
been clearly said to us that broadcasters need to be involved earlier in projects. If there's a tape to see, then you're too late and you won't get it. It's the kind of statement we get. Being nimble, pivoting, having a mixed portfolio in terms of where you're getting your content, all all themes that come. So it's it's great to, to, to kind of hear what you're saying. I guess we haven't got much time left, but I'd love to talk more generally about RTE's activity in terms of innovation as a, as a broadcaster, specifically your digital service RTE player. Um, last year, we saw a huge expansion uh, and increase in, in what broadcasters were doing with digital. Uh, it does vary by market uh, and, and within markets by broadcaster. RTL moving fast in Germany and the, Nord- and the Netherlands. The Nordics have been moving fast for some time now. ITV here in the UK a bit mixed. Um, I did see in the news this week that you were looking to invest even more in your technical platform or needing to invest even more in your technical platform. But more generally for you, it's clearly important that your digital service grows and gives greater primacy uh, in your overall offer of content. Um, would you agree with that? Oh, no, completely. No, completely. And I mean, that, that stuff in, in that you might have read about um, RC player needing a lot more money, I think that came from a particular politician who was kind of in Irish parlance giving out about the player. Now, a few years ago, the player used to buffer a lot. And, and from an engineering perspective, from an engine perspective, it wasn't as good as it should have been. We've actually could put quite a bit of money into that. There's always an issue when, you know, you're running, um, I don't know, an, an Olympic Games and, you know, a, a major boxing final is on at kind of three in the afternoon and everybody's working and they all go on the player a million people go on the player at the one time so you know but I think we've learned from those experiences and we, we can kind of add extra extra capacity and bandwidth at that kind of stuff so so there's that engineering aspect but no in terms of the player as a, as a product it is absolutely intrinsic like the BBC iPlayer is to RTE's future um, and you know we not only make sure that we have all the rights to our new content. We also, as I was saying earlier, we relicensed an awful lot of the, the older, uh, you know, uh, series that RT has commissioned. So we'll never be able to compete with the likes of Netflix or Amazon for volume. But what we can be is a unique proposition for viewers in Ireland of a really rich tapestry of Irish content. So and some of that content m- might also be on Netflix, it might also be on all four. But you know, if, if you're coming to us, you're coming to us for Irish content. So you might come to us to watch Kin, and then you might say, "Well, actually, I like Kin. Uh, I'll uh, oh, Dublin Murders is there, or oh, The Fall is there, or we want to be a, as I say, a great repository for Irish content." Um, and we want to augment that because we never can produce the volume. Um, but even the BBC, look at the BBC. BBCI player. BBCI player is buying content as well as actually, you know, just putting out UK content. So my budget has again pivoted uh, to more online content. Um, it's it's absolutely intrinsic uh, to our plans that anything that I buy now, I have to get long term uh, RT player VOD rights. The days of just accepting thirty days catch up and maximum five episodes, we're turning series down. Um, because we, we do understand we have to compete with the streamers and you can't, um, NRK in Norway were actually the first really to do this where they, they, I mean, they have a mantra that they won't buy anything unless they can get a minimum of 12 months VOD and, and they're very much, you know, um, on demand first. We're not there, we're a mix, but, you know, they did a very 
clear demonstration of the difference between the NRK player, this was about five years ago, compared to Netflix. And they showed there's an eight-part series and you hear about it four weeks in uh, or five weeks in and suddenly episodes are dropping off your player because you only have 30 days catch-up, whereas actually the whole series is up on Netflix. So, you know, we've taken the same view. You know, we need to make sure that there is that long tail um, and, and that the RT player... You know, we'll have that content there. So, so we, yes, we're absolutely we're acquiring for the RT player both you know international series and Irish series, um, and also I think down the line, you know, one of the reasons that we need to do more co-productions and we need to do more drama actually is because you know some of the content you and you and I were just talking about there is 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 not going to be available to us in the future because it will be withheld by studios for their own streamers. So how can we ensure that our catalogue grows? We, the one way we can ensure that is to actually commission more drama because drama has that long tail. Just like, as I always say, it's like going into a bookshop. You can go into a bookshop and you can read, you know, Sally Rooney's first book, but you can also go and say, oh, I'm going to read her first book or I'm going to, I'm going to read Jane Eyre. I'm going to go and buy Jane Eyre. So the same way with VOD service, people are very happy to watch catalogue and library stuff. And so if we every year commission more drama within five or 10 years, you will see that we'll be able to, you know, maintain a really good library of Irish content that we would have, as I say, the ability, because we have those relationships with the Irish producers to, to acquire for Ireland. I guess broadcasters are all pretty aligned on, on the sort of things they need to do to guarantee their long-term future. Um, and that's interesting to hear from you also. I found last year fascinating when different interesting kind of stories were presented to me by service providers all across Europe where there were different initiatives with with different impacts um, to different segments um, some subtle some bigger um, some bringing in older audiences some bringing in younger I think digital services are now providing a more multifaceted tool for broadcasters um, no longer having to be so paranoid about whether a particular time slot will work um, with a player you can think differently um, maybe lessen risks maybe take some chances um, anyway thanks a lot for your time Dermot it's been really great chatting um, and getting your perspective okay take care thanks for listening to this episode of inside content from three vision you can always reach out to us at 3vision.tv if you want to learn more. Or, if you're a business with ambition in the content world, our consultancy services can help. With decades of combined experience, we know the ins and outs of the industry like nobody else. Catch us next time on Inside Content.